Thank you for listening to this teaching from Kingdom Discipleship. Are you actively living your life in and for Jesus Christ our Lord? Do you have a lifestyle of consistently repenting and asking for forgiveness when you sin and make mistakes? The Christian life is often a life of, quote, two steps forward and one step back. None of us are perfect, but all of us ought to be growing to be more like Jesus in every aspect of our lives. Let's open our Bible now to Jude chapter 1 and learn how to examine ourselves and to be more like Jesus. Well, good morning and welcome to another teaching. It is a Wednesday morning here in Texas and uh, hopefully y'all loving on Jesus, spending time with Jesus, growing to know Jesus, growing to love him, right, Ian? Just uh, growing to obey him and uh, just growing to, to experience meaningful growing and intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. I mean, it's, it's the, it's the meaning of life. Now, now we do this, we grow to know him more by, by, by studying the word of God and applying it to our lives, putting it into practice, obeying it, right? This is how we grow to know Jesus. We certainly grow to know him in, in prayer and in thanksgiving, um, in fellowship with, with other believers and praise and worship, but above all, it's just spending time in the scriptures and the living word of God is the uh, the primary way that we grow to know Jesus, uh, the primary way to grow, we grow to know his love for us, and most importantly, the, the primary way we grow to love him, right, and we, you know, we love him as we, we obey him, right, and we, we show that we love him when we when we uh, when we do what pleases him, does that make sense? I mean, that's that's genuine. Generally, how we show love, um, you know, in general, right? We we show love to someone when we're you know when we're wanting to be pleasing to them. And I'm you know I'm not talking about a child that's being disobedient here, right? Um, but when we show love to our spouse or something like that, we're trying to do things that are that are pleasant to them and pleasurable to them. And certainly, Jesus as as our God. We want to please him, and when we when we have a heart to do that, we're showing our our love to him and for him, as we increasingly uh, live our lives in a way that pleases him, which is certainly our growing obedience to him. And it pleases him when we you know when we earnestly repent, when we fall short. He knows that we're we're not perfect, but as we continue to try to grow and mature in our Christianity, we have a lifestyle of of repentance, not not based on any shame or even guilt and certainly not condemnation, but just because we're convicted because we love Jesus and we're convicted of, you know, of our disobedience and of our sinful behavior and whatever it is and our thoughts, our words, our actions, you know, we earnestly repent and just go before him and say, Lord, you know, I'm sorry. I ask you to forgive me. I know that's, that that's not pleasing to you. I know that's, that's not how you've created me to be. And I ask you to help me Lord Jesus. And so, Thank you, Lord Jesus. Okay, we're continuing in the book of Jude. Last time we got uh, uh, to verse 7. Jude, again, is the second to the last book of the Bible. Right, Alicia? Um, it has 25 verses, and the, and the first seven verses were just so full. I think it might have been the longest teaching in Kingdom Discipleship. 
um, like 56, 58 minutes or something, Stephen said. So just a long teaching. Today we're going to pick up in verse 8. I don't know how far we'll get. Um, Jude is going to be continuing to, to warn us here about uh, individuals who come into the body of Christ, who come into our churches, um, and their heart is not genuine for Christ. They're not serious Christians. They're not living their lives for Christ. Um, you know, they may be professing Christians, but they deny the fullness of the scriptures of the word of God. They make excuses for ungodly living um, instead of just saying, yes, this is wrong and we need to repent. Um, and they, they cause divisions. Um, you know, they're boastful, they're prideful. And again, these are people who are not genuine Christians. OK, they're not saved. Um, and yet they're they're up all around the church. OK, um, this is not speaking about all of us who are Christians that struggle in our lives and that we make mistakes, right? And we all fail and do what's wrong at times. But the point is when we do that, as we already discussed, we repent and, you know, get back up and again, get back on a road of living for Jesus, right? Loving for Jesus, giving for Jesus and forgiving for Jesus, right? Armando, that's, uh, you know, that's the call of God on our lives. So, Father, we do thank you for your mercy, your favor, your goodness, your grace, your love. Father, we thank you for our Bible. We thank you that we have this living word of God, your word, Father. But above all, Father, we thank you for Jesus, our only Lord and Savior and Master and King. Lord Jesus, we thank you for becoming a human man for us, for living a perfect life for us. Lord, we thank you for dying a a horrible, torturous death for us. And we thank you that you are alive and risen today. <clears throat> and we worship you today, Lord Jesus. We worship you, Lord Jesus. Holy Spirit, we ask you to lead us and guide us now. We ask you to give us eyes that see and ears that hear as we open your word in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Okay. All right, so we're in Jude 1. We're going to pick up in verse 8. In the very same way, these dreamers pollute their own bodies, reject authority, and slander celestial beings. But even the archangel Michael, when he was disputing with the devil about the body of Moses, did not dare to bring a slanderous accusation against him, but said, quote, the Lord rebuke you. Yet these men speak abusively against whatever they do not understand. And what things they do understand, by instinct, like unreasoning animals, these are the very things that destroy them. Woe to them, they have taken the way of Cain. They have rushed for profit into Balaam's error. They have been destroyed in Korah's rebellion. These men are blemishes at your love feasts, eating with you without the slightest qualm. Shepherds who feed only themselves. They are clouds without rain, blown along by the wind, autumn trees without fruit and uprooted, twice dead. There are wild waves of the sea foaming up their shame, wandering stars for whom blackest darkness has been reserved forever. Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men. See, the Lord is coming with thousands upon thousands of his holy ones to judge everyone and to convict all the ungodly of all the ungodly acts they have done in the ungodly way. 
and of all the harsh words ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These men are grumblers and fault finders. They follow their own evil desires. They boast about themselves and flatter others for their own advantage. And so we'll stop there for now. Um, that's verse 16. And again, we started in verse 8. And so really, I mean, all of these things are warnings. Okay, they're warnings in the word of God, warnings for us as Christians. Okay, when we read these things, obviously the first thing we want to do is examine ourselves and see, you know, where do we have, you know, in what aspect of our lives do we display some of these qualities, even in a modest level, right? Um, you know, Lord willing, you don't have these qualities full blown and all out. Because if you are walking in these qualities and these qualities, these, these terribly negative, sinful, ungodly qualities, if these are a lifestyle for you today. If you're living in these ways as a consistent lifestyle, meaning this is just your day-to-day -day life, there's no repentance, there's no grief, there's no conviction. If that's the case, there's no reason for you to believe that you're a genuine Christian. So again, what am I saying? Absolutely, as genuine Christians, those who are genuinely trusting in Christ, we've received Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior for the forgiveness of our sins and the salvation of our soul. We're clinging to Jesus, knowing he's our only hope uh, to avoid eternal hell and spend eternity in heaven. As Christians, Jesus Christ lives in us. The Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, is one with our spirit. He's regenerated us. He's given us eternal life, spiritual life, right? We're, we're children of our Heavenly Father. God the Father is our Heavenly Father. Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior and Master and King. The Holy Spirit is our guide, our counselor, our comforter. The triune God is at work in us, right? Remember, we have a triune God right? They're, they're, they're all God, right? But they're represented in three distinct persons, okay? Uh, God the Father, God the Son, Jesus, and God the Holy Spirit. It's not one God manifesting himself in three different ways. It's actually three distinct persons, right? That are all God. Okay, and again, the mystery of the Trinity is overwhelming, but God is so overwhelming, there's so much to him that, that, that he actually is eternally existent in three distinct persons, okay? And again, I know that seems hard. You are a, a three-part being as well, as am I. As human beings, we're a three-part being. We're spirit, soul, Embody, okay. God um, is a three, you know, is 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 one God, but actually represented in three persons, right? Three distinct individual persons. It's it's incredible, right? Um, and so again, we have relationship with God the Father. We also have uh, a relationship with Jesus, God the Son. We also are in relationship with God the Holy Spirit. Um, and it's only in Jesus Christ that we have any of these relationships and we grow in these relationships, right? Um, and so when you read in verse eight, in the very same way, these dream, these dreamers pollute their own bodies, reject authority 
and slander celestial beings, okay? So when we read that, when you look inside your own life, okay, um, he says in the very same way these dreamers pollute their own bodies, okay? Are you consistently, right, do you have a lifestyle of, of, just, of just living your life in an immoral way? ungodly way. Again, I'm not talking about that you make a mistake. I'm not talking about that you're struggling with some particular sin and you grieve about it and you're convicted about it and you're in fellowship and community about it and you're you're trying to get help and you do have a desire to repent and you're working to repent. Every Christian ought to be doing that, you know, with the various aspects of our lives. Many Christians don't have issues with with physical sins, but they do, you know, they have issues with pride or contempt, or uh, indifference, or selfishness, right? So all of us as Christians, none of us are perfect. All of us ought to have a lifestyle of examining ourselves and being convicted where we're out of place. But, you know, if, if you have a lifestyle of just living in complete immorality with no repentance, then again, you want to go back to the cross and receive Jesus Christ anew and afresh. These dreamers pollute their own bodies, reject authority. So the authority spoken of here is primarily the authority of the Son of God and the Word of God. Okay, You cannot reject the complete authority as Jesus Christ as the Savior of the world and the Lord of the world. Okay, If you look back in verse, I believe it's verse uh, 4, right? It says they are godless men who changed the grace of our God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ, our only sovereign and Lord. Okay, so Jesus Christ is God. He's sovereign. He's all-powerful, and he is Lord of heaven and earth. Okay, um, he's the boss of everything. So these people, they don't accept Jesus Christ as the absolute Lord, the sovereign God over everything. Do you accept Jesus Christ as the absolute authority over everything? Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and the Bible, the Word of God. You can't pick and choose what you want to believe in the Bible. You can't say, well, I like this part of the scripture, but this part of the scripture I don't like. Okay, um, The scripture is the absolute authority over all human affairs. It's the word of God, right? Um, and so we can't open the Bible and say, well, I don't disagree with something that's plainly taught in the Bible. We may disagree on a particular interpretation of a scripture, and even that ought to come when we've done an immense amount of study and due diligence, right? Many people just have a, a very cursory understanding of the Bible, if at all, and yet they want to make comments on it. Right? There are people who've spent three hours of their life total in the Bible, yet they're fond of having opinions about it. It's ludicrous, right? If you went to a, a brain surgeon, okay, and you needed to, to have brain surgery, would you want a guy who's dabbled in it for about three hours in his life? No. You would want a man or woman who's who's had the last 20 years, right? Who's 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 had meaningful study who's given tremendous amounts of time and effort to brain surgery. Now, the irony is the whole world would, would want that in brain surgery, but somehow when we come to the Bible, the living word of God, we allow anybody to have an opinion whether they've given any time to it or not. 
It all speaks for itself. It's ridiculous. It's an area of importance for us. So it says these people reject authority, okay? The primary authority in our lives over every human being, okay, is Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Bible, the Word of God. Obviously, God the Father is, is, is the authority over all. God the Holy Spirit, they're all God. Every member of the Trinity, okay, is an absolute authority over us, but only in Jesus Christ is the sovereign and Lord of our lives, okay? Um, if you're not in Jesus Christ today, if you haven't received Jesus Christ today, then again, you're still in your sin, you're spiritually dead, headed to eternal hell. Only in Jesus can we be forgiven of our sin, can we come into relationship with the triune God and be under their authority, okay? So again, if you're not sure, you want to go back to the cross. You want to give your life to Jesus Christ. And we'll again, we'll go through that here in a little bit on how to do that. So, and again, reject authority. Um, you know, if someone, there's no man-centered authority, okay? So um, there's no pastoral authority just because a guy has a title of a pastor or an elder or because my title is pastor. That's the, the, It means nothing. Okay, we're responsible to Christ for it, but titles are not authority. Okay, as ministers, as leaders, as pastors and church leaders and deacons and elders, um, you know, our authority lies in the Son of God and the Word of God. So we have authority to teach the Word of God right? To exhort people in the word of God, to exhort people in the son of God, to exhort people to obey the word of God and the son of God and to exhort them to repent. Now, obviously we have to have a lifestyle of doing that in our own lives. Otherwise we're just, it's nonsense, right? We're just, we're just foolish. Okay. Meaning as leaders, we need to have a consistent lifestyle, a much more substantial lifestyle of working on ourselves, getting the log out of our own eye. And believe me, every one of us has different kinds of logs in our own eyes. And once we get that out, then we can better minister and help our brothers and sisters get the, the comparative speck out of their eyes. And I, and I talked about that. It doesn't mean that, that, that the person you're helping has less problems than you. What it means is you ought to view the shortcomings in your life like you have a log. And that, you know, when you're dealing with your brothers and sisters in Christ, you ought to do it in a manner of love and understanding and mercy, knowing you yourself got problems, but as if theirs is more of a speck. Most of us, you know, look at everyone else's problems like they got the log and we look at ourselves like we only have a speck. Again, it's an obvious point of repentance um, and every one of us is guilty of it. Okay. Every one of us is guilty of thinking other people at times in our lives, they've got bigger problems than us. And again, just that thought process is out of place. Hopefully that makes sense. So again, um, if, you, if you're in relationship with church leaders, again, pastors, elders, ministers, whoever they are, and they are, you know, um, earnestly, right, teaching you the word of God and exhorting you the word of God. And I'm not just saying in the pulpit. The pulpit is, that's fine, okay? That ought to be, a, that's a very small part of your Christianity, what you hear in church. It's, it's important to hear a good, sound, Bible-based message, but you ought to be in relationship with your church leaders, okay? If you're a part of a church, you ought to be in consistent relationship 
with different leaders in your church, different church leaders, the pastors, the elders. You ought to be in relationship with them and not just on Sunday morning. Okay, they ought to be pouring into your lives and sowing into your lives. Okay, I understand when you get to have a, a 10,000 member church or a 5,000 member church, but even then, okay, we've gotten to a place now where churches are so big that you have life groups and you have different levels of leadership and you have all that. But still, church leadership ought to consistently be involved with the flock. And, you know, as a member, even if you're a member of a large church, you know, you can go and say, hey, I want to meet with my elders. I want to meet with my pastor. I want to I want to sit down and they ought to be, you know, giving you of their time. OK, and if they're faithful in that and exhorting you in the word of God and in the son of God and they're they're genuinely concerned for your soul and your growth, then certainly you want to to submit to their authority, their authority to exhort you in the word of God and in the son of God. So you, again, do you have a lifestyle? You want to examine yourself of knowing that Jesus Christ is your absolute authority. He's the sovereign and Lord, as it says in Jude 4. Um, do you submit to the entire revelation of the word of God as your absolute authority? Okay. Um, and, you know, do you have a, a lifestyle of when, you know, others, and again, it's not just church leaders, you know, it could be your spouse. It can be anyone. You know, any brother or sister in Christ has a right to exhort you, even if you're a pastor. Me in my life, I've, I, I'm blessed to have relationship with, with several dozen, dozens of, of serious men and women of God who can exhort me and have the authority because we're in relationship to exhort me in the obedience of the word of God and the son of God. And I need to pay attention to that. Certainly my wife, my children. Again, it's uh, we all have the authority as Christians to exhort one another in love, of course, in, you know, to obey the word of God and the son of God. Right. In the very same way, these dreamers pollute their own bodies, reject authority and slander celestial beings. OK, um, again, we can be so foolish that we can just, you know, just just start getting into an argument with the devil, right? There are people who just slander, you know, uh, uh, demons, right? Or they'll just cuss them out. They'll just, they'll just, you know, they'll, they'll just provoke them or they'll just say, you know, they'll just be challenging them. Look at verse nine. All of this is ridiculous, right? But even the archangel Michael, okay? Archangel Michael, uh, Satan or Lucifer's equal, okay? Um, but even the archangel Michael, when he was disputing with the devil about the body of Moses, did not dare to bring a slanderous accusation against him, but said, quote, the Lord rebuke you. Okay. So when we're dealing with demonic forces, okay. Um, it's only in Christ. Okay. Um, we don't engage them. We don't get off into conversation with them. We don't slander them and start calling them names and stuff. We don't look to provoke him. We just simply say, in the name of Jesus Christ, the Lord of heaven and earth, you have no place here. My Lord rebuke you in Jesus' name. You have no place here in my brother and sister. And whatever it is, right, spirit of fear, in the name of Jesus, my Lord rebuke you in Jesus' name. Be gone. 
You have no power and authority. I have no power and authority in, in, in myself. The authority is in the sovereign Lord of heaven and earth, Jesus Christ. Okay. Even the archangel Michael, apparently, this is the only place it's mentioned. We don't know why there was a dispute over the body of Moses. Perhaps the devil wanted to desecrate it or something, or perhaps he wanted to try to reanimate it. Again, we don't know, but, you know, he didn't get it. Okay, because when Michael said, the Lord rebuke you, boom, even all the devils of hell and Satan himself have to obey the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, he's the Lord of heaven and earth and in the in the natural realm and the spiritual realm. Okay, and he's the boss over hell, too. Okay, Um, and so, again, we don't we don't start engaging in, you know, kind of flippant, you know, goofy, kind of slanderous language with demonic forces, right? Like many of us, when we're dealing with our friends or, you know, depending on our personality, we can start cutting up. And certainly I go overboard in this. But, you know, in whatever we're doing, right, we could be talking to a friend and it can be in jest, what I'm saying. It could just be part of the relationship. And we could say something like, you know, shut up, fool. Come on. I mean, look at it, right? I mean, it's 21 nothing. They're not winning this game. What's wrong with you? You crazy? I mean, g- give me a break here. So, and obviously it gets much worse than that, right? We can, we can start using language we shouldn't use. Um, forgive me, Lord. But you don't do this with demons, okay? Obviously you don't do it with angels or demons or any celestial beings. You don't start cutting up and slandering them and... and and yelling at him and provoking him, okay? Simply, the Lord rebuke you in Jesus' name, okay? That's the only power we have. Verse 10, this is a hard verse. Yet these men speak abusively against whatever they do not understand. Again, in the church today, even as genuinely saved, born-again Christians, we can often speak abusively against things we don't understand. And again, this is something for every one of us to look at. All of us have a different lane. All of us have different gifts. We have different talents. And we ought not be presumptuous as we grow in the church. And particularly, this is something for us as church leaders, pastors, elders, deacons, ministers, um, wherever we are in leadership in the church. We have this idea that as we get older and we get wiser, and hopefully this is happening, that we tend to know it all. And oftentimes that we're not opening to listen, or we only want to listen to certain people that we've handpicked. It's a good old boy system, okay? And again, I'm not, I myself am guilty of this as well. Um, but we need to understand what our lane is and what it isn't, okay? Um, if, 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 if you're not consistently in your Bible, like, you know, I'm a Bible teacher. I do this. Uh, I do two teachings a week. I'm spending time in the Word of God all the time, studying the Word of God, studying the Word of God. I've been doing this for 25 years, okay? So that's my lane, to teach the Word of God. And I'm far from being perfect at it. It's a task that there's no words for, right? Teaching the Word of God. Teaching the Word of God verse by verse is different than preaching a sermon, okay? Uh, Now, again, uh, sermons ought to be teaching the word of God. That ought to be our sermons. But doing a topical sermon, that's different, but that still ought to be topical based on what the word of God is. 
Um, but yet there are other gifts in the body of Christ, people that have tremendous gifts in understanding, um, you know, just different aspects of, of, of how God works in the lives of different people and how he works in, um, you know, in, 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 in our particular callings and such. I've been blessed to be around, you know, different men and women who have a particular expertise. And we ought to submit to that lane. And they need to submit to lanes they're not in, okay? That's how the body of Christ works. And I, I have noticed, again, in my own life, the older we get, the more we think we kind of, like, everything is our lane. It's not true, okay? Yes, uh, the, the more we grow, the more we can, we can do a little bit of this, a little bit of that, a little bit of this, a little bit of that. Again, we just want wanna to watch ourselves. And we certainly don't want to speak like we're an authority about something that we really haven't given a lot of time and understanding to. Yet these men speak abusively against whatever they do not understand. Okay. Um, yeah. Again. So, uh, Father, I do ask you to forgive me where I've just spoken foolishly, let alone abusively, when I really didn't even know what I was talking about, Lord. And I just ask you to help us as Christians to just to humble ourselves and to know what is our lane and, and what is it, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Again, you can know what your lane is by what you've given time to, okay? Again, if you're studying the scriptures and you know how to study the scriptures and to teach the word of God and you've given, you know, thousands of hours to that, right? Then you could safely say this is your lane. Now, maybe you dabble in it a little bit. Maybe you are able to prepare for a teaching or a particular sermon, but even then, you wouldn't say that's your lane, okay? Your lane, again, is something that you consistently give your life to, moment by moment, day by day, every day. And all of us ought to have that in different aspects of the body of Christ, in different places. Perhaps your lane is service. Perhaps it's leadership. Perhaps your lane is in, in healing. Perhaps your lane is in, you know, building up the body of Christ, right? So again... The important thing is we don't want to speak abusively against things that we really don't understand because it's not our area of expertise in, in biblical Christianity, right? And now again, and obviously now as Christians, this can go just way out of place, right? Yet these men speak abusively against whatever they don't understand. The misuse of our mouth and our words, Stephen, is uh, there's, there's just no words for it. I mean, again, how many times in my life I've just spoken and I really don't know what I'm talking about. I mean, it's, yeah, there's not words for it. And hopefully I'm getting better at 52 years old at, uh, at refraining. But it's, uh, it's, it's, it's something, again, every single one of us as Christians need to look and repent over. And the more leadership we have in the church, the more we need to repent over this, okay? In my time, and you know, my in the church, twenty coming to twenty five years, uh, never do I see people more speak abusively against things they don't understand than in the church, okay? And as I've already said, certainly I'm, I'm a part of that failure. Yet these men speak abusively against whatever they do not understand, and what things they do understand by mere instinct, like unreasoning animals. These are the very things that destroy them. So again, I'm applying these principles to genuine Christians, people who are truly one with Christ and are walking with Christ, and even us as leaders who are leading others in Christ, in the body of Christ, right? But again, these, these people 
have a complete lifestyle of this. This is their identity. Their identity is not in the authority of Jesus Christ and having received Jesus Christ as their savior and clinging to Jesus Christ alone for the forgiveness of their sins and the salvation of their soul and laboring day in and day out to live for Jesus, love for Jesus, give for Jesus and forgive for Jesus. Right, Esther? This is their lifestyle. This is how they live. Like unreasoning animals and, and, and what things they do understand by instinct, like unreasoning animals. An animal, a dog, a cat, a bear, a mouse, it, it's, it's not, it has no reason. All it understands is instinct, right? These people, right, they're, they're not genuine Christians. They live their lives just by instinct, like unreasonable animals. They're, 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 they're led by the instinct of their fleshly desires, of their selfish desires. Everything is self-serving. It says, in what things they do understand by instinct, like unreasoning animals, these are the very things that destroy them, okay? They're just destroyed because they have an entire lifestyle of living in, 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 in selfish, self-serving um, immorality in every way, not just sexual impurity, but in every way immoral, lying, deceiving, cheating, self-serving. And he's saying these are in their church and we have to watch for them. Right. Again, this is not talking about a Christian who has made mistakes and makes mistakes in some of these areas and is is laboring to repent. Verse 11. Woe to them. They have taken the way of Cain. They have rushed for profit into Balaam's error. They have been destroyed in Korah's rebellion. Yeah, he gives three examples as if his readers understand these things. Um if we were to ask, one and maybe a million Christians would understand these things. I, I went into deep study to understand, woe to them, they have taken the way of Cain. And he doesn't explain what the way of Cain is. They have rushed for profit into Balaam's error. He doesn't explain what that is. They have been, they have been destroyed in Korah's rebellion. Um, these are three Old Testament men, right, who in, in three different ways, right, just just went about in uh, in unrepentant, sinful ways. Woe to them. They have taken the way of Cain. Cain, you know, Cain and his brother Abel. Cain murdered his brother Abel because he was jealous of his relationship with God. He was jealous of the heart and the purity that Abel had for God, right? And, and you know, Cain did not serve God, did not have a heart for God, not in any way like his brother Abel did. And because of that, you know, God, you know, looked with favor on Abel and his offerings, but with Cain, he did not. And Cain was so angry and bitter when it was entirely his own fault that he didn't have that same heart for the Lord. And he went out and murdered his brother, right? Out of envy and jealousy, right? And so that's how these people behave, right? They just out of envy and jealousy and anger and bitterness and malice, they, you know, we just go out and tear everybody down, right? Um, you know, and, but again, these are unbelievers and they're just tearing them down because they're angry and bitter, right? They have rushed for profit into Balaam's error. Balaam was a, a prophet in the Old Testament and he was lured by a king to come speak a, a curse over Israel. But when he opened his mouth, a curse wouldn't come out. A blessing came out, but he wanted the money 
and he wanted the things the king were offering. So Balaam gives this diabolical advice to, to the king and says, you know, send, you know, your women into the, the Israeli camp. And then the men will take these women and be sexually immoral with them. And then the Lord will be dissatisfied and he will, you know, the Lord will then curse them and discipline them. And uh, in this diabolical way, Balaam for profit, for money, led the whole country of Israel into immorality. Again, he devised a plan, right, with Israel's enemy on how to bring the Lord against them. Just so you can see how bad this is. Again, it's like you want somebody to come under the Lord's judgment or the Lord's discipline. So you personally lead that person into immoral behavior and whatever it is, it could be with money. Again, it could be with sexual impurity. It can be with pride. It can be with malice, but you're intentionally doing it because you, you know that the Lord's going to discipline that kind of behavior and you're doing it because somehow you're going to profit from it in one way or another. That's what Balaam did. They have rushed for profit into Balaam's error. They have been destroyed in Korah's rebellion. Again, um, you know, the Lord was giving Moses, you know, the revelation for how he wanted the people to live. And, you know, and Korah was, you know, just, you know, and, and his followers, they were, they were off put by Moses. And they just said, you know what? The Lord is, is with us too. Moses actually falls to his face to the ground because he knows that, you know, uh, the Lord has given the word of God through Moses and Moses falls to his face in humility. And shortly after that, the ground opens up, the earth opens his mouth and swallows Korah, his family, all his followers, tents and all, <laughs> just swallows it all up, just gone. They have been destroyed in Korah's rebellion. Again, um, again, these type of people are just rebelling against the word of God and the son of God and anyone that exhorts them to, to, to obey the word of God and the son of God. Verse 12, these men are blemishes at your love feasts, eating with you without the slightest qualm. In the early church in this time, they would have what was called love feasts. And it, there was nothing impure about it. It was a beautiful thing where the church would come together and have a meal. And this would often be a time. And again, this is what historical, you know, historical account of this is. The scholars tell us this would be a time when when, say, slaves or uh, or just very poor Christians. It might be the only good meal they had in the whole week. Right. And it would be a time where everyone would bring something, would bring what they could. You know, the more means you had, the more you would bring and the less you had, you know, you wouldn't bring, you know, you really might not have had any money to bring anything, but you could go and, and have a feast and have a good meal. These men are blemishes at your love feast, eating with you without the slightest qualm. Again, these, these, these people who are not genuine Christians, they would come in, they wouldn't, they certainly wouldn't bring anything. And they were there only to eat and to gorge themselves and to be gluttonous. And, you know, they would bring nothing. They would eat everything. And again, it's not because they were poor, but every aspect of their lives is self-serving. They were always there for what they could get, 
When you go to church today, obviously it's good for you to receive a good Bible-based message, but you ought to be there for what you can give, how you can build up people in Christ, how you can encourage people in Christ, right? Um, how you, you know, again, it your Christianity be, ought to be almost entirely about how you can give yourself away in the service of Jesus Christ. Jude announced himself in verse one as Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ, right? These people can come in and just totally greedy about everything about they can get, not giving anything. These men are blemishes at your love feasts, eating with you without the slightest qualm. Shepherds who feed only themselves. If you're a shepherd today and a leader in the church, your job is not to feed yourselves, but to shepherd the flock. Now, obviously, we need to be fed as ministers and shepherds, right? Um, we need to be fed in the word of God and the son of God and having others exhort us. But these are, are people who are claiming to be leaders and they only care about themselves. There's no lifestyle. of Everything is about self-serving and what I can get. Shepherds who feed only themselves. Again, when you see people like this, you need to stay far from them. Again, I'm not talking about, again, a pastor who has a lifestyle of giving his life away, but, you know, he has moments of selfishness. We all have that. This is these people's entire life. Everything they do is about themselves. There are clouds without rain blown along by the wind. A cloud without rain is useless. All it does is mess the sky. You can't see anything. A purpose of a cloud is to drop life-given rain on the, on the earth. These men are clouds without rain. They have no life to give. They're just blown along here and there, taking wherever they can in every way. They are clouds without rain, blown along by the wind, autumn trees without fruit and uprooted, twice dead. Okay? I don't know how you get to be twice dead. You're spiritually dead. You're naturally dead. You're, you're so totally dead. They're not saved. They're not born again. There's no fruit in their lives. There's not in any roots of their lives because they've denied Jesus Christ as the only sovereign and Lord. 13, they are wild waves of the sea, foaming up their shame. Uh, Wandering stars for whom blackest darkness has been reserved forever. Again, there it is. Hell is reserved and they're there forever. Wild waves of the sea foaming up their shame. Again, all of us do things wrong. But if you glory in your shame, if you're excited about your disobedience, if you're not repentant, if, you're not, if there's no heart in you to get right with the Lord and to live right for the Lord, you want to come back to the foot of the cross, and we're going to end here with that in a moment. Verse 14, Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men. Um, there was a book of Enoch. It's not in the Bible, but Jude is going to quote from it. So this part of the book of Enoch is Holy Scripture. The whole book of Enoch is not. This particular part is. Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men. And then he's going to quote out of the book of Enoch. And this particular quote is scripture because it made it into the Bible. Quote, see, the Lord is coming with thousands upon thousands of his holy ones to judge everyone and to convict all the ungodly of all the ungodly acts they have done in the ungodly way and of all the harsh words ungodly sinners have spoken against them. So again, these are people whose lifestyle, who throughout the day, they just consistently live ungodly lives. They're, they're harsh, 
They're self-serving, they're selfish, they're greedy, they're immoral. This is not talking about somebody who's laboring to live for Christ and, you know, and makes mistakes in some of these areas, right? See, the Lord is coming with thousands upon thousands of his holy ones to judge everyone, okay? There are two judgments in the Bible, one for believers, one for unbelievers. At the great white throne judgment, all those who haven't received Christ will go and be judged. They'll be judged according to their works. And according to the level of evil they lived in and selfishness they lived in, they'll be assigned a place in hell. No one has the same position or, or, or punishment in hell. Believers, 2 Corinthians 5.10, will go before the judgment seat of Christ. It won't be a judgment for sin. All of our sin was judged at the cross of Christ when we received him. All of our sin, past, present, and future, right? Um, and we'll be judged and given a reward for how we served Christ for how we walked with Christ, for how we used our time, talents, and money in the advancement of the kingdom of God, the word of God, the son of God, and the gospel of God. To the extent that you live your life increasingly using your time, your gifts and talents, and your money to advance the cause of Christ and the word of God, right? And the fruit you bear just in doing that, you'll be given a reward and again, you don't get to heaven by anything you've done. You get to heaven by trusting and relying on Christ. But none of us will have the same reward in heaven or the same position in heaven. Okay, um, So no one has the same reward in heaven. No one has the same punishment in hell. Okay, that, Both of those things are going to be based on how we lived our life. How we lived our life in Christ as genuine Christians will determine our reward. How you lived your life without Christ, never having received Christ in this life, will determine your the level of punishment in heaven depending on the level of disobedience and wickedness and selfishness that the person lived in. To judge everyone and to convict all the ungodly, and he has to come convict because they won't be convicted themselves in this life, to convict all the ungodly of all the ungodly acts they have done in the ungodly way, and of all the harsh words ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Verse 16 these men are grumblers and fault finders. Again, uh, this is their lifestyle. This is one thing that, that as a church that um, I know in my own life, we, uh, we, we ought to be more careful. Again, it is our job to point out error. It is our job to speak the truth in love. Um, but, you know, we're often so dissatisfied with different aspects of what the Lord has done in our life or with other people. We can consistently be grumbling and fault finding again. Uh, this doesn't mean we're not supposed to, to, to exhort people to disobedience. It doesn't mean we're not supposed to challenge people to live their lives in the word of God and the son of God and to speak and teach the word of God and the son of God. Um, but again, this shouldn't be our entire life of grumbling and fault finding. These men are grumblers, grumblers and fault finders. They follow their own evil desires. Again, is your life about following your own selfish desires all about what you can get for you? They boast about themselves and flatter others for their own advantage. Again, everything they do is to get for themselves. Again, if you have a lifestyle of consistently flattering other people, it doesn't mean I have a lifestyle of often being too rude. Okay. And so that's something I need to repent over. But they flatter others for their own advantage. Oftentimes we want to flatter people so that they'll, they'll like us more. Okay. Where are you today? Where are you in this, in this list? Have you received Jesus Christ 
as your Lord and Savior that you can avoid the blackest darkness of hell forever? Are you trusting and relying on Jesus or do you just believe in Jesus intellectually? In John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. They're his own words. It's Jesus or hell. In John 1.12, it says to all who received him, Jesus, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Have you genuinely received Jesus? Romans 10.13 says everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Okay, now it's not our words that save us, but we use our words to communicate our heart to the Lord, right? If you're not sure that you're genuinely trusting in Jesus, you can just simply humble yourself now before him. Just humble yourself before Jesus and pray, Lord Jesus, I, I know that I'm a sinful person. I confess I'm a sinner. Lord Jesus, I know that I am hopeless and helpless and desperate without you. But Lord Jesus, I believe you are the son of God. And I believe that you came and lived a perfect life for me and died a a perfect death for me. And I believe you are alive and risen today. And therefore, Lord Jesus, I ask you now to come into my heart, to be the Lord of my life, to save me from my sin and to bring me to heaven when I die. Lord Jesus, I place all my faith and hope and trust and confidence in you alone to save me and to be my everlasting Lord and God. That's how you become a Christian. Now, again, it's not just puppeting the words, right? A Christian is someone who who understands their spiritual condition, their, their complete sinfulness and hopelessness, and runs to Christ, runs to the foot of the cross, believing in him as their only hope and trusting in him as their only hope for the forgiveness of their sins and the salvation of their soul. Give your life to Jesus Christ today. And as Christians, again, we want to to continue to, to be sanctified and be made more like Christ and walking away from all these ungodly qualities. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your favor. We thank you for your grace, Lord. Father, I do ask you to forgive me ask you to forgive us one and all, Father, where we have, you know, failed and, and walked in these ungodly qualities, Lord. I thank you that in Christ, this is not our identity. I thank you that our identity, Father, is in being your children, that we're one with Jesus Christ, that you are our Father, that the Holy Spirit is our guide, our counselor, our comforter, that Jesus is our Lord and Savior and Master and King. And Father, I do ask you to forgive us when we when we live in these qualities as Christians. And I, I ask you to, uh, to help us to examine ourselves and to repent and then to, to help our brothers and sisters in Christ. Lord Jesus, we just thank you for loving us and dying for us. And we just thank you that you're alive and risen. Holy Spirit, seal the message to our hearts now. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen.